Hi, welcome to BoobTube, the podcast where smart women talk about what they're watching and not watching. I'm Sarah Whitus. I'm Amanda Toysher. Uh, it's <laughs> oh my god! I had to hold that coffin <laughs> <laughs> to get your name out. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's summer now, Amanda. I was it like, is... we can't redo the beginning. So. <laughs> I mean, we can, but I, I think like, that was charming. I'm Amanda Toysher. <laughs> <laughs> that was a charming goof. I liked it. Yeah. How you doing? Uh, I'm okay. It's really hot here. I hate. I hate this city. I hate this godforsaken city. Why did they build the capital here? <laughs> I gotta say, ninety-seven, and it was the weather app said it felt like one hundred six, which is always really nice for them to point that out. I did. I still follow the Washington Post uh, Capital Weather Gang on Twitter, and I actually still get the morning emails <laughs> for some oh. <laughs> reason. You just, just miss these summers, so yeah, much. because I just I feel closer to DC knowing what the weather is like there. Um, crazy person, <laughs> yeah. So I it does look unbearable there it's this really week. Gross. It looks bad. It looks yeah. bad. It was. Uh, it's not. I will say this is a good thing about living close to the water is that Boston stays like doesn't get that I mean it gets hot like it was actually insanely hot yesterday and to the point where we went out and uh, bought air conditioners we were like I was really gonna be resisting that um yeah the potomac doesn't give us any nice <laughs> no no, no winds. those those swampy river winds yeah, yeah doesn't really help no it was a I, I will say being inside significantly more um significantly more pleasant now that we have the air conditioners i can sit inside and watch tv which is what i did for three hours yesterday and i'm like i don't have to feel bad at all i'm sitting here not moving in front of this ice cold wind blasting into my face hole what did you watch um well i did watched a couple of things we haven't talked in two weeks i've uh would say i mean i finished the suitcase Slash, I, slash I staircase. I got, I got behind. You got derailed. I mean, we really covered it uh, yeah, pretty really extensively in our last well, episode. Do you, do, you, do you think he killed her? I, so I will What's say it gets right where I say no. I, you know, I, we kind of, we kind of covered the actually what happens in the last yeah. episode, even though like neither of us was done with it, which is, uh, Michael Peterson is, is found guilty. But I will say the last few episodes, which are the new ones that were produced for Netflix. I mean, they get much more into his, A, it's like his whole appeals process and getting out of prison. Um, but, uh, it's also much more in insight into his kind of, um, you know, just his emotional life and mm-hmm. and talking very frankly, I think you don't really get much much from him other than like kind of a lot of party lines of like it was a great marriage and blah 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 blah. But this is going more into his psyche, and I found that really interesting. I gotta say, I walk away from it feeling like he's very he's sincere. I mean, the kids never waver. You know, the kids are like also very much like he told us that he is innocent and I have really nowhere to go, but to believe that. Um, Mm -hmm. And clearly whatever he said to them, you know, was convincing. And I found it really, I found it uh, really interesting. I do recommend, I kind of thought I would get to the last, I'm like, how much more of this show can there be after like, 
we have a verdict. Um, and I'm telling you, they can draw those documentaries out forever. They really can. But I mean, I would definitely recommend it, at least at the very least, like just watching the last one. Um, mm-hmm. And and like, you know, it's not really, you know, like spoilers or anything. So like, I, I found it and they kind of, the gang gets back together to like <laughs> give it one last, one last like go at, um, we kind of get into this whole thing about how his plea but um and and how it, like there's enough you know evidence i will say it made me think a lot about kind of uh the nature of of victims impact statements which i kind of uh if you are on twitter i had linked to this on i think the boob tube twitter but really interesting article in the new yorker a couple mm-hmm. months ago about how they can victims impact uh, statements can actually be like the ways in which they can be detrimental, which I had never thought about. And um, the sister of of the victim here, Kathleen Peterson, kind of brings that into a focus here that I thought was interesting. And I'm not sure that her extensive statements at the trial and and, and the hearings, the hearings regarding Michael Peterson getting out of jail are really helpful for anyone. Um, But anyway, that, that was that was one thing that I watched. I caught up on Queer Eye a little bit, the new season, which continues to be an absolute delight. And Are I hope a, um, they never stop making them. Who, what's the name of the food one? Anthony. Are you an Anthony truther? <laughs> I mean, okay, in the episode I just watched, his dish was roasted nuts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like... So, for people who don't know the, the Anthony truth ism movement is that yeah, he doesn't actually know how to cook but he <laughs> got this job as the food consultant um because he's like cute he's um, cute he has like some other weird connection like to like the show i think like well, he, he knew a producer he, he, or he something had, like he knew the guy that had um uh been the food guy for the original oh career. for I'm ted straight guy exactly yeah. exactly and so that's how he, the, the theory is that's how he got the job, but he actually doesn't know. And there's a great New Yorker piece about it that kind of sums <laughs> up, like, yeah, it's like, well, he called this one cheese called La Tour, he called it just Tour, which is, not okay. <laughs> you know, so all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I love it. I okay. will say that I I am an Anthony, an Anthony uh, truther, it I It sounds kind of like the dude doesn't really know how to cook. But he's a, God bless him. He's a sweetheart. <laughs> um, what about you? What are you watching right now? Um, well, I was in Florida visiting family, so I watched Columbo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> any kind of, <laughs> any yes. new, uh, new kind of, like... No, we watched an episode I hadn't seen, because it was from the 90s, um, and it was so very much a Columbo episode from the 90s. Um, William Shatner was the murderer. He had a terrible mustache, and he was a political radio talk show host, and, like, they allude to, like there's like a character who's gay and like it's just clearly like the 90s where like hey look at we can talk about gay people how progressive like we're not going to pretend <laughs> that they don't exist um when i think sure. columbo i think hard leftist <laughs> yeah. the thing is like they always were good about like anyway i don't know i mean the murders were always white but like yeah. anyway i watched an episode of columbo with my family and my young cousins and my young cousins were like into it like my uncle the next was generation. Like, They're not gonna like it. And um, my grandma was like, "We're watching Columbo." And um, sure enough, like at halfway through, I was like, "How are you guys doing?" They're both teenagers, and um, they they were both like, "This is interesting." I'm like, "I like this." Like, it's you know, like eighteen year old boys, just like this is cool. 
And I was like, yep, uh, we're all related. <laughs> this is, yep, this is the, yeah, the same like, Toysher DNA running strong here. <laughs> an 18-year-old guy on his way to college is like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> Man, let me tell you where you can find more Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> like you have hours and hours, days, weeks ahead of you. Um, uh, I can't anyway, wait for the yeah. Columbo revival that will eventually yeah. come to Hulu. But I also watched um, all of the new season of Glow, okay. which I had a great time doing. Um, Tell me I, about you, it. You watched some of the first season, right? Yeah, I watched probably the first three episodes of the first season, and I, I just, it like didn't do it for me. So you're wrong. Yeah, I'm willing um, to admit that. Yeah. To, to, to not have been into it, but you know, ever, we're all wrong sometimes. Um, that's okay. The second season I really liked. It was really fun. Better um, than the first, or is it not really so a comparison? I remembered so little of the first sure. that, like, I can't actually compare it. I do think so. Like the first season, the central relationship over over the course of the episodes was between the main character Allison Bree's character Ruth and her friend Debbie. And it was kind of the question was whether Debbie could forgive Ruth for having slept with her husband um, and basically ruining her marriage as she has an infant son. And that, that happens more that they talk about it in the second season and there's like tension because of it still. Um, But that's not, you know, really like the main focus. And actually the thing is it kind of gets annoying in the second season because you know that Ruth did a bad thing, right? She slept with her friend's husband. Like that's, you know, it's kind of unforgivable, but like Ruth and Allison Bree's portrayal of Ruth, she's so likable, and Debbie just sucks. And you're just kind of like, <laughs> Debbie, let it go. But like, you're like, <laughs> that then you're life like, well, ruining no, actually, she, of course she can't let it go. And I think the show could have done a better job of like doing the slow burn sort of like reconciliation where they like they try to be friends, but like there are little things that Debbie just can't get over, or like feelings of like insecurity or like betrayal that like keep flaring up and Mm -hmm. in this it's just kind of like debbie just being a bitch all the time until it comes to a head Mm -hmm. um and that gets that's a little annoying because you're like i don't want to like root against you debbie like you were yeah you were wronged right just in the in just in the like the the name of you know really being there for allison Bree's side it's like does that is that what it winds up feeling like yeah well i'm like allison Bree's like such a likable actress yeah and um, her character is really fun too, and you also like she's very sympathetic. Like you're like, yeah, she fucked up, but like she was like, not she. She was kind of a mess in a lot of ways, and she was like depressed and like you know, like you you can kind of like. It's interesting because like, the Mark Maron's character is like that too. He's totally a hot mess, and he's such an asshole. And um, they, I think that's you know something that this show is about. It's like how you navigate just trying to like get your shit together, both professionally and emotionally. Hmm. Um, and I read a good criticism in Vanity Fair by this writer Sonia Saraya. And I love she, her. Yeah, she's so great. Yeah. and I liked a lot what she said. the The, the headline on her essay was called uh, "Mark Marin is great in Glow, and maybe that's a problem." Which, like, <laughs> a lot of that, I kind of. Hmm really thought was good because he is so good in this this show and he plays such a shitbag guy like 
just an asshole. He's terrible to Alison Brie in the first three episodes. He says, like, terrible misogynist things all the time. He's, like, such a jerk. And, but, like, you care about his growth and you like to see him when he, you know, he, he forms a relationship with his, you know, previously unknown daughter. And there's all this, and it's just, it is kind of, what Soraya was saying was like, it is kind of like frustrating that she, that you, you care so much about him in this show that's supposed to be about all these different women. Do you feel like he gets such a central focus? So he, do you feel like he gets, uh, like more like cumulative screen time than the dramas? Yeah. Not more than like Debbie or, Mm. uh, Ruth. Not the like main women, but yeah. yeah. But, but he does, he does feature strong, which is fine. Like he's, he's a main actor and that's okay. I think it's just interesting that he is playing such a shitty person Mm -hmm. and sometimes he's not very redeeming. And I think it's frustrating because, um, I like, I don't have usually a lot of patience for like complicated that sort of white that guys. trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like usually get really annoyed by it. And for, I'm like kind of annoyed that I care about this character <laughs> and find it interesting. And I'm even more annoyed that I'm sexually attracted to him in this role. Like, it, it's really distressing to me because I've never been like a huge Mark Maron fan. But like, I like watch this show and I'm just like bone him. I can't get there with you. I. I know, I'm not, at, <laughs> trust me, I, like, would be surprised if other people could, and anyway, that's, that's another thing that's kind of just, like, frustrating me about, it's like, I was like, oh, what is it about this character that is different, maybe it's just really well written, but then, like, where, where is that for a lot of these other characters, you know, it's very, yeah. much, this season is even more, like, League of Their Own than the first season, <laughs> where it's, I like, really... the, the man who's, like, rounding up his, like, you know, not even gang that. Of... No, I mean, but he, yeah, he's definitely playing like the Tom Hanks sort of role, mm-hmm. which is like it's kind of funny. I haven't seen many comparisons in that way, but like that's totally what it is. Mm-hmm. But no, just League of Their Own sense of like women doing something, and they're all like friends, and all super different, and all like have their different roles, their different positions. You yeah. Know? So anyway, I I like that, but um, one of the other criticisms that Soraya had. Uh, in her article was that um, like the different characters plots don't really tie in well together which I kind of disagree with I do feel like sometimes you you jump into a character in one episode and they, their issues whether it's with their character that's racist like you know this one woman Tamay she has to play this woman the welfare queen and her while her son's at Stanford and she's like ashamed to have him watch this this show that she's in doing this really horrible racist stereotype mm-hmm. and there's like another um woman uh who plays a character named Beirut you know the actress right yeah well I don't I I like you went to, to college with her we went to college together and we have friends in common and we have met so what I'm saying is that like we're basically sisters friends. yeah yeah yeah. Well, she's very funny in it, but she plays, she's Indian in the show, I mm-hmm. believe, and yes. she is, her character, she has to play Beirut, like a suicide bomber terrorist, um, so it's, that's offensive, and she tries to, so they have different, they have little mini plots with these characters, where they're, like, trying to get past these sort of, like, racist, but, but you just get a, it for, like, one episode, and mm-hmm. then you move on to a new character in a different episode, and I feel like the show could have been more artful about weaving them through the entire season. It's hard when you have that many, you yes. know, I think that people are, I think there's a lot of ensemble shows like this, where it's, like, 
you're excited to bring in like you know a, you've all these ideas for great characters and then you like yeah. get these amazing people to play them and then you've sort of set yourself up for a little bit of you know like not failure but it's a difficult thing to it is really hard and i also really like give everyone the weight that they deserve yeah and i kind of feel like we now have i don't know like too big of expectations about how shows are able to do that mm-hmm. when they're all it's not easy dropped. all every episode is dropped at once and mm-hmm. the idea is that you binge them so all these like criticisms that you you read and critiques of these shows it's like it doesn't feel a big one is like they don't we talked about this with jessica jones like it doesn't feel cohesive or whatever i'm like well right i mean if what if they had dropped say season two of like the x-files people would be like what the hell is this about it's just like, like a massive television right yeah <laughs> like and every episode changes and i think there are other shows um that don't immediately come to mind but that are like that where it's like we if we're used to watching them piecemeal one episode at a time we're kind of okay if you know, they're kind of they, complicated. They're, they're yeah, they're and they you have time to digest it. Yeah, so like, and then when there's... they drop them all at once, they want it to be like one big movie, and mm-hmm. and it's too much. It's like yeah. we were talking about this with something else recently. I forget what it was. Jessica the, Jones. Well, and something yeah, Jessica Jones. And then I think I had brought up something that I had watched. Oh, something else. Yeah, that I that I don't remember, but just I mean, it is it is hard to set up that much plot and then both expect the audience to be able to kind of like you were saying like you don't really remember what happened in season one you know which is like i had that problem with like arrest development which is one thing we were you know also just like a very like you know i was like what happened there was like you know it i think it's true that when it drops all at once you're both less likely to re kind of remember any individual you know, certainly yeah. in, any, in any individual episode, but also, yeah, I mean, it just, you kind of look at it, it becomes this like sort of like wall of a show and then you're just kind of hit with it. And then it's like, yeah. and you, then you pass through it. And I mean, anyway, so it's, it's kind of like two different, I guess I'm kind of talking about two different things with, with kind of balancing the plot lines, but also just the, the issue of so much plot and having all of that plot, um, you know, at, at once, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, trying to both retain it and, and, uh, yeah, have it seem like a, a coherent, cohesive story. It's hard. I it would not hard. want to be writing for, you know, these, it's, it's such a, it must be such a different way of writing than the way that writing well, was done for television for so writers. long. You know, mm-hmm. all these episodes. It's not one person writing every single episode. Sure. Although I think generally with these kinds of shows, it's like the writer's room kind of like kind of comes up with a lot of story ideas and then they're doled yeah, out. Yeah, but that's you still know. not a consistent way to have, you know, that's too many That's too many ideas. That's too many brains in it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just, it's, it, it, I think that, but I do think that like writing for, yeah, this kind of, uh, the way that these shows are released and mass is it's got to be different i mean you i honestly don't think you can pack as much plot in as a lot of these shows try to um that might be it yeah i mean there's there were there were some um you know overriding things that this show i think i feel like this you know the first season was very much about the relationship between debbie and ruth and then the second one it's much more focused on their professional travails you know like how are they getting by 
not just as women in a workplace, even if it's a very weird workplace, but, you know, women in television in the 80s. Um, and there's a lot of moments that really hit the Me Too nail mm-hmm. right on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene where Ruth meets with this TV exec um, and she thinks it's going to be a normal business meeting. And sure enough, she ends up getting like full on Harvey Weinstein mm-hmm. and um and she it leads to like a really good fight between her and Debbie actually I can't believe this I know it was terrible how could you be so fucking stupid what are you talking about you're in the hotel room with the head of the network he comes on to you and and you run away was I supposed to fuck him no you're supposed to make him think that you might fuck him or that you you desperately want to fuck him if only you didn't have a fiance or your period or an extra set of teeth where your vagina should be i'm not that kind of person what an actress i mean that is how this business works ruth men try shit you have to like hell yeah pretend to like it until you don't have to anymore it shouldn't be that way no it shouldn't and women should get to direct and not be washed up by the time they're 30 and i should have gotten to eat a piece of my own wedding cake without worrying about how many minutes of jane fucking fonda was going to take to work it off but that is the way it is and you don't make it better by flouncing out like some fucking victorian school marm every time some sleazeball puts his hand on your knee you're taking 20 other people down with you so you just let them do whatever they want Not exactly a guiding feminist principle. Feminism has principles. Life has compromises. Congratulations, Gloria Steinem. The one time you keep your legs shut, we all get fucked. And, you know, I I, it just I I feel like that show, it it was making an effort to have a conversation about how difficult it can be for there's, you know, storylines about being mothers while Mm -hmm. they were doing the show there were storylines about race and you know just about all these things that women have to juggle Mm -hmm. um at any given moment while they're at work Mm -hmm. even if it's about women's wrestling and then i mean i think so it's kind of interesting to view that in the light of you know how much time mark maron's character gets i mean you know i guess i i don't know if this is a case of you know the classic we have to give men kind of like an in here it can't just be you know we have to like have this like i don't know if there's a feeling like there's a need for a male voice i very as a viewer i very rarely feel like this needs a man yeah i don't know but but i mean and so i'm not yeah and so i'm not sure that it is although it might just be that they wrote it because he was so good at it and like that's sure and right and maybe it didn't uh was wasn't meant to become such a big character but you know i think that happens a lot where it's like okay we wrote this sort of minor role and and then he really inhabited the character and we just wanted to give him more you know that kind of thing happens happens a lot um so it could have been it could have been that but i mean i think that i guess at least if they're going to spend time with that character it's like it sounds like they give him a lot of depth and, you know, so I'm glad if you're going to go there, like, you know, really commit to at least commit to that character. And and, and then, you know, it, it, I think it's better, I guess, that he has, you know, a real like emotional arc rather than oh, this guy is just here because <laughs> because we needed a guy or, you know, or right. something like that, you know, so. Right. Yeah. So, and I don't think that's the case in this. Yeah. Um, there's another male character that I think might have had sometimes felt like too much time was spent on him personally but he is so funny uh bash the producer and mm-hmm. he's like also the mc 
Um, and he has some really, he's just so funny as the announcer. It's so great. Well, this match is taking a heartbreaking twist, ladies and gentlemen. Liberty Bell wins the crown, but loses her daughter. And what's a mother without a child? Just a so what did you watch? I was going to say, you know, a show, a streaming show, I, mostly what I watched this week was a streaming show that uh, actually doesn't, you know, take that approach on um, The Handmaid's Tale. Hulu does release these episodes one week at a time. Right, right. Um, which is necessary because no one could possibly... <laughs> watch uh it's not a bingeable i think the most number of episodes i could possibly watch at once would would be what i would be like two um two yeah, yeah i mean be. i can't even i'm saying this is someone who can't even watch any of them yeah so. <laughs> it's you know and i i think i when i started the season maybe i got three or four episodes in um i had talked a little bit about the beginning of the season being just very difficult and torturous to watch yeah, and i yeah. think everyone was you know very this there's a lot of anticipation around this show did cleaned up with awards last year um and people had a lot of just like really high expectations for it coming back for a second season um and then i think honestly the the buzz on it has really died down because largely just it's just been so grim that i think a lot of people have given up on it um but i i would not recommend giving up on it because we're now the the finale the season finale um airs this week on wednesday and so i've watched everything up to you know the penultimate episode where we are and i think it's really great season i don't want to talk in in too much detail about it because i don't want to be too spoilery um but i did have a lot of just kind of thoughts about it and i think a lot of those thoughts really circling around again just the uh just torturous nature of this show i mean if it was rape scenes the rape scenes and i mean i think the ritualized rape has been a part of both seasons obviously because it's you know it's it's a big right it's like it's a big facet of life in this you know fascist fundamentalist misogynist uh regime of gilead and it's a big part of the book um so there were the ceremonial rape scenes which are intended to impregnate the handmaids basically the uh the you know the couple that each handmaid lives with uh they have like this weird simulated i mean it's not simulated the sex is real but then the the wife is kind of there to be like you know sort of receiving i remember that from the book yeah so it's like a facsimile very disturbing but then um as we've gotten to the the end of this season i you know there's one episode in particular the 10th episode um where there's two scenes that are you know dealing with the the ceremony as it's called and and they're just very they're you know this episode is i think the only one of the entire series so far that actually came with a content warning from hulu um and And it's just a very, you know, the there's no more nudity or anything like that than there has been in any of the other ceremony scenes. There is no nudity. It's just, you know, everyone's fully clothed except for like literally the like actual intercourse. And, and but it it's just this methodical documentation of the rape in two scenes. And in one of them, um, usually the handmaid is just kind of 
it's actually described in this episode, you know, it's sort of the handmaid is describing what the experience is like, like you, you try and leave yourself. Um, and in one of the scenes, uh, it's, it's impossible. And there's actually just like, you know, the handmaid screaming, like no stop, you know, it's very violent in a way that, um, the ceremony is usually not violent. It's just, you know, awful and disturbing. Um, so, I mean, you know, I made me, I was watching this episode sitting there, which I'm sure just about everyone who watched it sat there just grimacing, you know, it's awful. And, you know, I was like, why, why am I tolerating this in this show when rape is, is, you know, as a plot line is generally not something that, especially just a drawn out rape scene you know something that i don't tolerate in you know just about any other game of thrones game of thrones or westworld or you know even most movies and things like that you know and i mean obviously here we're making a larger point and the rape serves a a purpose it is like we are talking about what it's like for women in this society and when women are reduced to literally nothing but their bodies, you know, in this, you know, dystopia that, you know, seems more realistic all the time. Um, And, you know, so I I don't know, but you sit there and you're like, I, at least I did. And I'm like, but, you know, when, at what point does this just become exploitative? And I think it is different. I think you're, you know, it's, if you're watching, say the Americans and you have, um, you know, Elizabeth stabbing a mother, right? Mm-hmm. And then seeing the little boy in the other room. Versus if you're watching a show like, I don't know, what's a stupidly violent show? We'll just say well, Game of Thrones. Or, yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The HBO, right? Yeah, anything <laughs> on HBO with men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like there's someone just being stabbed. That's, you know, that's not serving any narrative purpose. Yeah. It's, and the same with like the rape scenes that were in Game of Thrones were just they're they're terrible because they're only done to be like shocking. Okay, let's have something bad happen to this woman, and there's no context around it of just why are you watching mm-hmm. this? What? Why are we using trauma here? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Which is what I think most women watching a scene like what you described in The Handmaid's Tale would find it deeply triggering, whether or not they had experienced sexual assault or rape in mm-hmm. their lives. Yeah. Right. But the point is that. You, you went into that knowing that this is what you're watching and this is what you're, you're, you're learning and thinking about here. You watch Game of Thrones and then you have half the audience that's going to be sitting there just going, oh my gosh, that just ruined this entire episode for me that I had to sit through and watch it. And the other half of the audience maybe just being like, huh, boy, it sucks for Sansa. So right. I think like, you know, it's just how are we using trauma as a plot device or mm-hmm. are we using it because that is the whole point of the show? Mm-hmm. The Handmaid's Tale is about basically mass societal rape. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I yeah. think I was reading a great piece. Um, you know, I love, I really love the a lot of the the television criticism at Vox, um, which is headed up by Todd Vanderwerf, a, a writer I like a lot. And he he was writing a a piece about this episode that you know if he had to boil down The Handmaid's Tale um, to be you know if you had to say what one word. Um, he would say survival and it's Hmm. about, you know, to him, this is a show about what 
um, everyone in the society, really, because, you know, there's a lot of people, I think the handmaids are arguably suffering the most of anyone not out in the colonies. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a lot of suffering, certainly any woman in this society, even the women who are higher up on the, you know, there's every, every woman is subjugated. Um, but, you know, especially the handmaids, what they are willing to endure in order to survive is is jet like what this show is about at a base level and you know the rape is a part of that you know there because there is discussion of handmaids who have killed themselves and that's a part of the first season that's part of the book too that's the whole Mm -hmm. you know don't let the bastards grind you down written from a, a handmaid who who hung herself and and a lot of women will say i'm not willing to endure this uh yeah. just to just to live it's not living and you know a lot of the handmaids that don't kill themselves basically are saying i will endure this to survive because i am hoping that there is more you know that things will change after this you treat it like a job an unpleasant job to be gotten through as fast as possible Kissing is forbidden. This makes it bearable. One detaches oneself. One describes an act of copulation, fertilization, perhaps. No more to you than a bee is to a flower. You steal yourself. You pretend not to be present. Not in the flesh. You leave your body. And I was really hoping, I think, one thing, you know, that we would get more into... I, the Handmaid's Tale, the only, I mean, I thought this was a great season. I'm very excited about the last episode, but this, The Handmaid's Tale, now that we have gone past the limits of the book, you know, way past the end right. of the book, it is now, uh, it's now kind of like grasping at the corners of the room. You know, like we're boxed in mm-hmm. to a situation here, which we have to get outside of it. We have to go, you know, about a maybe 10, 15% of the season took place in Canada, where we're seeing some characters who have managed to escape. Um, I'm hoping that we get more of that next year because we have to really at this point we can't there's like i mean even with with the main character with june slash offred like there isn't really anywhere else we can go here like i mean she's now we've now at a point in the season where she's made two attempts to escape um and uh we can't just keep doing that <laughs> right and she can't escape because then that's not what it's about right or, or she does escape and now it's about something else you know like or maybe we start focusing on well, more like the, on different characters but like i well, think to the point about it being about survival it's you know the, the the reason the book was so effective was that it ended you didn't know what would happen next with the character you didn't actually it was ambiguous right mm-hmm. and you know it there's something to be said about it just ending mm-hmm. right there because then you know entirely the, the entire world of this book is encapsulated just in this one narrative that's all about the survival and say she does escape you know and then you just move on to someone else who's trying to survive and at a certain point you just that that sort that that narrative just becomes 
I don't want to say tired. Well, I, that's why, it I, and that's why I'd like to see purpose anymore. Yeah, it has to end. and although that's why I'm like, and I'm not even against the show just ending. I mean, I'm kind of like maybe we've just done what we've what we're you know we've. I'm not. I wasn't even really all that much in favor of having a second season. But like, I mean, if we're going to keep going with it, I'm to me, you have to move on to how do we take this down? There's a great moment in the penultimate episode where we get this just brief. I mean, we have a couple of glimpses at the end of the season into the world outside of uh, Gilead and and even into the world outside of like what remains of the United States, um, where there's like a Canadian delegation that comes or uh, sorry, the the um, the commander, uh, Offred's commander and and his wife go to Canada um, to as like, you know, a diplomatic mission. and, And so then we get a very brief uh, uh, scene where Alfred gets to hear some of the radio and it's like a radio free America. um, And it's basically a radio station broadcasting from what's left of, of America, which appears to be somewhere in the vast West of Italy. You know, we know that Alaska still exists. And anyway, the, the, um, brief glimpse there is a radio dj uh introducing a bruce springsteen song and the i did not find it i did not realize when i was watching this but the radio dj was uh played by oprah (laughs) um yeah but you know and you're not supposed to like you know i didn't even know that i was like what uh but you know you get this glimpse into okay there is because even in the book you know i think i talked about this when we uh at the beginning of the season but like you know you you do sort of get you you know you get the epilogue of uh a world post Gilead um, where we're like discovering uh, the, you know, basically the book, you know, or whatever the journals or the recordings um, that, that make up the book. And so like, clearly there is this like life after, and I'm just like, we got to go there or we got to end it because we can't just like stay here in this space anymore. And um, I was hoping we would get more into the resistance with this season. And we do a little bit and then oddly it's kind of, dropped i don't uh, so um i'm assuming that's where we got to go with next season but i'm really excited for the finale i think if you've given up on handmaid's tale like if you watched the first season and you liked it i would i would take your time with the second season (laughs) and and come back for it because i do think it's been really excellent and these last couple of episodes i think were just devastating but mind-blowing i think like elizabeth moss is a shoe-in for another emmy here i was kind of like yeah do we need to give it to her again but uh, and now i'm like oh no she's probably the best actress i think working in the television medium like today so she's just astonishing um but so that's my thoughts on uh the handmaid's tale yeah. what about this week what's happening this week i mean i guess speaking of the handmaid's tale um i was listening to some kind of uh emmy speculation and, and people were mentioning alias grace which i forgot about and had meant to watch They're i don't think that for emmys <laughs> no it's not this was a uh this is the little gold men podcast which i love to be overlooked it, I, well and that was the point it was kind of a wish list of nominees and a few different people mentioned different performances i have on seen alias something grace. about how people are like alias grace was so good but and no one it's watched a shame it that it's just one of those shows you know netflix just dumps a million shows and then gets lost in the shuffle only some of them will like 
go viral, it's enough for them to like. It's a you know great business model. It's enough for them to pay for everything still. But yeah, I don't. Well, know. so you just read the book. I finished the book um, on Thursday, mm-hmm. actually, like a few days ago. Loved it. It was so good. I, I have it. No I need to, I need to read it. Margaret Atwood's one of my favorite writers. She can't really do any wrong. I didn't realize <laughs> it had been written so long ago. I thought I. I thought it was from like the late 2000s but it's um from 96 okay um anyway it is so very good it like you know you know it's this woman on trial for or not on trial she's in prison she's been convicted of murdering her former employer and the housekeeper and um she is there's you know elements of spiritualism and 19th century forays into mental health research Mm. um and you know it's just so interesting so is that when it takes place in it takes place in the 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 murders 1843 i think and it takes place like 10 years or so after while she's still in prison okay um and like a doctor comes to visit her and is like trying to uncover these missing parts of times that she has where she couldn't she can't remember when the murders took place and so Mm -hmm. he's convinced that there's a subconscious which is this radical theory at the time and that like he can unlock it for her and it becomes anyway it's just i can't really say anymore without talking for an hour so it's just really good but i i'd wanted to read it before i watched the uh watch the series and i'm really excited to start that now well i probably will start it i will probably just start uh, watching it so they'll be interesting that we'll have your perspective uh from the book and then let's watch it together yeah yay um i also really want to watch literally everyone is talking about the uh hannah gadsby comedy special um nanette Nanette on netflix everyone is talking about that and you know what i saw just netflix's stupid autoplay commercial and i usually those make me so mad but i ended up watching the whole thing and i was like that looks really good whatever this is well i'm very intrigued because it's not often that you're like I've read, you know, everyone is saying kind of like, oh, the less you know about it, the better. And like kind of being even wary of like spoilers. And I'm like, that is yeah. certainly not something that you <laughs> generally see with a comedy special. Yeah, um, right. So I'm very intrigued. I will definitely be watching that. Um, yeah. And yeah, I will be finishing Queer Eye, obviously, probably like anything you're not going to watch. Um, anything I'm not going to be watching, I feel like I've been kind of consciously staying away from, uh, uh, television that (laughs) actively repulses me or, um, (laughs) disinterests me. I think it was funny that you had mentioned the succession, uh, a few weeks ago or succession. That's what it's called. Yeah. Succession. Because I just saw. We weren't able to figure out what it was called. No, we, (laughs) I was like convinced that you were actually talking about the Getty show. (laughs) Um, but in fact, that show is called Succession. Anyway, I just saw on Twitter someone that I like, um, said they, uh, hated it. So. (laughs) Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So we're not missing anything there. Yeah. I know. Which everyone's trying to. Billions is great. Not going to sell us on it. Not going to sell us on it. Not happening. Uh, anything that you're not watching? Oh boy. Um. So many things. (laughs) Uh, any lakers games oh no i thought i just i honestly i like you know because i don't do basketball but i i obviously couldn't avoid that news today i saw it today and uh i'm sorry i know i mean i'm not mad at him i'm not mad i'm not mad at lebron for leaving um 
I'm mad at the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Dan Stupid Face Gilbert. So is um, he, he's bad? He's just a bad guy. I okay. mean, he's the owner of Quicken Loans. So okay, like, cool. <laughs> yeah. You okay. know, so he's basically just like taking advantage of Detroit and Cleveland. Um, and yes, and he's the owner and he uh, just has poorly managed the team and left like our, anyway, this is not a basketball podcast. This is not a basketball podcast. Um, I I just uh, makes me think of the Who Weekly podcast, which has been doing this is not a Westworld podcast inside of uh, regular episodes of Who Weekly. This is not a this is not a basketball podcast between you and me would be so utterly terrible because it would be (laughs) me just being like listening to my very (laughs) strong opinions about small market basketball teams. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and I'd be like, okay, which one is the blue? (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would definitely that's like me watching soccer i'm like yeah <laughs> who's got the stripes i don't okay yeah go go them yeah um i did hear that croatia is still in the world cup i think and, they're gonna play russia yeah and i just because i've been to croatia once um and it's the only place in europe i've been to i'm they're obviously my, they're obviously my team <laughs> they're very they're very good um I hope they beat Russia because I have to say I watched the Russia uh, game and um, it was chilling. I just, I'm not one usually for conspiracy theories, but um, the World Cup shouldn't have even been in Russia this yeah, year. Yeah, I like, thought that was messed up. officials were bribed back in like 2006 or whenever they were deciding it, 2008, and um something shady is going on and like the commentators were like talking about how great this was for Russia and it was creepy and chilling and I didn't like it and I've learned that I am deeply uncomfortable by overt displays of Russian patriotism from Mm. their fans I now know what it's like to have another country in the world that I don't like Hmm. not the people, the people are fine Yeah, there's something shady going on there and uh by this gum, I take me seriously. <laughs> <laughs> nope i I gotta say though, I also like did not. Un- I was like, why is this in Russia? That was like the like the first like when I I'm like, oh, the World Cup is happening. Hmm. Yeah, wait, why is it in Russia? That seems like there's definitely we? shady stuff happening, but I will not speak any further. <laughs> uh, get, subscribe to Amanda's Conspiratorial <laughs> Theories conspiracy podcast, podcast for more. Um, all right. Well, now we've exhausted my full knowledge of sports. So I guess that's, we can that, call it an that episode. That is it. That's everything. Yep. Because <laughs> we can call it an episode then. Um, all right. Well, we'll all be right. back. Uh, we'll be back with more non... This is not a... This is a television podcast. This is a television podcast. Yeah, not a sports podcast. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Amanda. Right. Bye. That's <laughs> Vidania. Good night.